take your Bibles, if you will, if you got your note sheet, uh, uh, if you didn't get one, let uh, Ken know, he'll get you one. He's up and at him already. So, uh, um, Hebrews chapter 11, and tonight we want to look at the faith of Abraham, the faith of Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19, we'll be looking at here. Now, it's uh, not at all difficult to understand why Hebrews 11 is often called Faith's Hall of Fame. Uh, Abel, remember the first of Adam's seed to approach God through the blood, obtained God's witness that he was righteous, and we called Abel's testimony the way of faith. Enoch's testimony was the walk of faith. He was taken to heaven without seeing death. uh, Noah also walked with God, but we noted that his testimony is the witness of faith because he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And so now we come to Abraham, whose testimony we're going to call the worship of faith. And Abraham was given the honored title by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to James, Uh, He was called the friend of God in James chapter 2 and verse 23. It's interesting that the world's three major religions all claim him as their uh, prophet. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Uh, He's highly revered, looked up to in all three of those religions. And in fact, in the Quran, he's, for example, he's mentioned no less than 188 times. But beyond argumentation, he is one of the greatest figures in human history, so much so, in fact, some have claimed he never lived. Uh, He was just imaginary. He was a uh, mythical figure, uh, maybe like Robin Hood or Santa Claus. Um, They didn't really live, did they? No, they were just fiction, right? Um, Fortunately, uh, archaeology uh, and the excavations that have uh, been made have long ago put that all to rest and uh, silence that nonsense. But uh, Abraham was as truly a historical figure as any, any of our American heroes or father of our country, George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. But Abraham, you will recall, enjoyed the distinction of being the father of God's chosen earthly people. In honor of all his descendants, they eagerly claim this. Again, James recognized this when he referred to him as Abraham, our father. James chapter 2.23. Israel exalted him in the same fashion, uh, only more earnestly and seriously as we revere and claim even George Washington, uh, the one who was first in war, first in peace, first in the hearts of his countrymen, as the saying goes. He was called the father of our country. Many in our Lord's day, like the Pharisees in John chapter 8, the greatest delight was to able to say, we be Abraham's seed, or Abraham is our father. The Jews thought so highly of him, they named the place where they redeemed, the redeemed go to death as Abraham's bosom. Recognition, which by the way, our Lord approved of by his own use of it. Uh, Paul spoke of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 11, that he might be the father of them that believe. It's also very significant that all those listed in this chapter thus far, Abraham is the first of all the Old Testament uh, that specifically speaks of faith. Now, it's obvious that Abel, Enoch, and Noah all lived by faith. 
but the historical record does not say so in particular. Uh, Genesis 15, 6 says, and he believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, as we look at Abraham and his faith, I want us to consider, first of all, the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith, look at verse 8 and 9. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place where he should after, where he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now, Abraham, it says here, obeyed. Uh, first of all, he obeyed when he was called. Uh, verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, which he should after receive an inheritance, obeyed. Faith doesn't argue. Uh, It doesn't make excuses. Uh, It goes. Faith responds, as did the children of Israel when Moses took the book of the covenant and read to the audience of the people, telling them what God expected from them. And the people responded. Tells us in Exodus 24, 7, All that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. Uh, obedience is the top priority in the life of faith. One who walks by faith will walk in obedience to the word of God. There's no substitute for it. Now, do you remember Israel's first king? King Saul, son of Kish, a Benjamite. After Samuel anointed him king, one of the first assignments that God gave him was the setting, uh, settling of a score against Amalek. And it was left over from the days of the wilderness wanderings. And he was told in 1 Samuel 15, 3, Go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. Both slay man, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Well, he obeyed partially. Read my mind. Bible tells us Saul and the people spared Agag. The Amalekite king and he spared the Amalekite king, he kept the best of the sheep, the oxen, fatlings, lambs, other choice animals to sacrifice them unto the Lord God. Now that sounded pretty good, didn't it? It sounded very devout, noble. Surely God would be pleased at such pious thoughtfulness. God wasn't pleased, was he? Because he did not Obey. First Samuel fifteen twenty two and twenty three says, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heart and to hearken than to the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. And so the lack of obedience is serious business. Perilous enough to cost a king his kingdom and his life. This is true even when, as in Saul's case, God himself had put him on the throne, had invested uh, in him uh, the kingly power and authority. And the Bible is filled with proof that obedience is followed by blessing. Disobedience is followed by judgment. 
God promised when pleading with his people to reason with him in Isaiah 1, in verses 19 and 20, If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And over in the book of Luke, in Luke 11, verse 27 and 28, it says, And it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain uh, woman uh, of the company left up, lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. What an honor Mary had carrying the incarnate Son of God in her womb for nine months, giving uh, him birth and then nursing him at the breast until he could be weaned. No wonder the angel Gabriel called her highly favored of the Lord, and Elizabeth hailed her, Blessed art thou among women. And yet, according to Jesus, it's better to hear the word of God and obey it than to have been chosen, even as Mary was, to give birth to the Son of God in his humanity. Yes, obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. So Abraham obeyed when he was called. Secondly, not knowing whether he went, he didn't. It didn't trouble his. Uh, he didn't trouble his mind about it. Uh, he didn't give it a second thought. Uh, that is faith without sight. It's trusting God in the dark. It is Paul admonished a walk by faith, not by sight, according to Second Corinthians five seven. Now, to the natural man, this is completely ridiculous. Can you imagine what this younger brother? Nahor, his baby brother Haran, the father of Lot, had already died and said what he would say after their uh, uh, their dad's funeral in Abraham as he was uh, called, told that him that he was leaving home. Uh, where are you going? Oh, I don't know. You don't know? No, but God said he would show me. And Nahor would watch him disappear into the horizon, shake his head and say, poor Abe, he's, uh, he's flipped his lid. The desert heat has finally gotten to him. And all the rest of his life he kept moving. He was very rich in cattle and silver and gold, the scripture tells us. Like Lot, he had flocks and herds and tents. His servants were so numerous that he could use them as an army to go into battle against four kings and their cities. He had just defeated five kings in their cities and soundly defeated them. And what a sight this huge caravan must have made as it moved across the plains and it camped in some areas for weeks at a time. When the abundant or the band of merchants would meet these pilgrims, we could probably think uh, maybe uh, the, this took place. Where are you going to receive a land for my inheritance? Where is it? I don't know. How long have you been traveling? Many, many years. When will you get there? I don't know. Probably it'll be several years at least. You see, Abraham's enormous caravan would slowly move off, and these merchants probably shook their heads and muttered such evaluations as, wow, he must be crazy. The heat's really gotten to him, no doubt. He doesn't even know where he's going. Now, we've said that about some people sometimes, haven't we? How will he know when he gets there? Yet, isn't that what life of faith is all about? Not knowing where you're going and when you start out? 
You know, we certainly had no idea where life was going to lead us when my wife and I got married. Oh, wow, 45 and a half years ago. We had no idea where we'd be this much later. It's amazing to look back, see how he's directed our comings and our goings over the years. We've had a few loved ones who thought we were crazy. Uh, some of them probably still do, but, uh, you know, the life of faith is a life not knowing where, whether you, we go. As the poet said, one step I see before me, it is all I need to know. For o'er each step of my onward way, he makes new light to glow. And would to God all Christians would fully understand it's not necessary to know, not necessary to see when we have his word. How God fulfills his word is not our concern. It is our responsibility to obey. It is our responsibility, uh, his responsibility to see us through. We obey and he sees us through. In the case of Abraham, when his descendants were safely in the land of promise, 500 years later, God told the people through Joshua, and I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him through all, uh, throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. I want you to notice the words there, I took and led and gave. I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. I took, I led, and gave. God keeps his word. And so faith by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called. By faith Abraham obeyed, not knowing whither he went. And by faith he obeyed, he sojourned dwelling in tabernacles. You know, we're told that the American dream is for every man to own his own home. Now, I, I heard that every man should own a boat and a motorcycle at one time in their life. I have never accomplished either one of those, but some of you perhaps have. But, you know, we're told the American dream is that every man to own his own home. Abraham never owned a home. Nor did that failure trouble him in the slightest. His dwelling was in tabernacles or tents. And uh, uh, most of uh, would think that Abraham sojourned in a strange country that was unfamiliar to him. But I think the meaning is simply that he was, uh, it was a land that was not his own. You know, after traveling around nearly a century, he probably became familiar with this and never had home sweet home. Uh, he never was a landowner. Uh, Stephen told the Sanhedrin at the time, God gave him none inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on, according to Acts chapter 7, verse 5. Instead of, only, uh, instead of property, he, the only property he ever possessed in the land of promise was actually a cemetery. When Sarah died, he went to the sons of Heth and acquired the cave of uh, Machpelah, and the field where it was located for a burying place, paying a price of 400 shekels of silver, according to Genesis 23. And when he died after traveling around Canaan for 100 years, that was still the only real estate he owned was his cemetery. And yet Abraham was satisfied. He was a satisfied sojourner. He was content to simply walk with God as Enoch and Noah had done before him, waiting to receive his main 
possessions over yonder, so to speak. That is the obedience of faith. So we have the obedience of faith. Secondly, we have the vision of faith. At least three things the faith of Abraham saw, as indicated in this passage. Notice, first of all, the city with foundations in verse 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now we must understand this is not just any city or any foundation, but rather the city, the foundation. It was a specific city on which he would set his sights. He looked for a city that would abide, endure, remain, and stand forever. Uh, it would never decay or be destroyed. In fact, it would never know defeat. It was a city from which he would never be driven, never uh, lose, never be carried away into captivity, and armies would never overrun. It's uh, all the madmen of the ages, the Hitlers, the Husseins, the Gaddafis, the Arafats, the Stalins, the Hiroshitos, the Ho Chi Minhs, the Osama bin Ladens would never even enter to say nothing of overthrow that land that is fairer than day. The city with foundations Abraham would own forever and dwell in for eternity. That's the city he was looking for. Why? Because its builder and maker is God. The word builder here carries the thought of an architect. The only other time it's used in uh, the New Testament is in Acts chapter 19 verse 24 and it's translated craftsman. Uh, what a reputation God has as an architect and craftsman. He designed and he built the universe. He designed and he built Niagara Falls, the Grand Canyon, uh, the Painted Desert, all the other natural wonders of the world. And yet their beauty and their glory have been marred by the curse of the fall. Thank God there are no flaws, no imperfections, no limitations in the city. One prominent America dairy company advertised, if it's Borden's, it's not, it's got to be good. Uh, maybe you, some of you old timers remember that, Borden's dairy. If it's Borden's, it's got to be good. Well, that's not always true. As with anything, everything man has his hand in, and anyway, in any way, goodness is dependent in a measure upon the taste of each individual. But not so with God. Not so with what God designs, what God builds. It has got to be good. It has got to be perfect, in fact. What a place heaven will be. God's architectural masterpiece. John 14 and verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Not some cabin in the corner of glory land. Sometimes we sing... Uh, you know, uh, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. You know, you can sing that if you want to, but it's not, that doesn't ever compare to what heaven is really going to be. It's going to be a mansion that's perfect in every way. Faith can already see it. The city with foundation. Secondly, the fulfillment of the promise. Verse 11 and 12. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, sprang there even of one 
Him and him as good as dead, so many as stars of the sky in multitude, as the sand which is by the sea shore innumerable. Now to understand and to appreciate the act of faith, let's go back and look at the original promise. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3, you can, uh, or you can follow along as I read that passage. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You see, all families of the earth would would be blessed through him. That is, through his seed. And yet at the time of which the text in Hebrews speaks here, Abraham and Sarah had no seed and were approximately a hundred and and, uh, one was a hundred and the other was 90 years of age. She was past age. He was as good as dead, it says. Uh, It says here, uh, as far as giving birth and raising children... Recently, I was at uh, my friend's retirement, and I got up and said uh, he was one of five men that uh, had influenced my life. And I said, two of them are dead, and three of them are mostly dead, uh, or almost dead. And he was wondering which one I I was referring to. But here it says that, you know, Abraham was as good as dead. Now, that's, that's pretty bad right there. If you ever get to the point where you're as good as dead, <laughs> you're pretty bad off, right? Well, of course, he's referring to the, his ability to give uh, raise children and so forth. And yet, he believed God, and God would that God would fulfill His promise to them. On one foolish occasion, apparently feeling a little desperate, the couple tried to help God out. Of course, raising up a seed through Sarah's Egyptian handmaid Hagar. But God refused to accept the seed in the form of Ishmael as a fulfillment of his promise. And when he repeated his original promise, neither Abraham nor Sarah could understand it. And when God, uh, uh, when God, Abraham, uh, Abraham, uh, excuse me, uh, God told Abraham that Sarah would bear a son at that age, he fell on his face and laughed. And when God sent two angels to the plains of Mamre, he repeat, uh, repeated it to Abraham, and Sarah overheard uh, it from her position in the tent door, and the Bible says Sarah laughed within herself. They thought both, both of them thought that was a pretty good joke. Now, we shouldn't be too hard on them for this lapse of faith, but God promised was against all human reason and logic. How would you have felt in their case? But you know what? God keeps his word. Genesis 21, 1 and 2 says, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his own age at the time, at set time of which God had spoken to him. And the bitter laughter of unbelief had changed to hilarious laughter of faith. Paul describes Abraham's faith in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. It says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead 
when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded what he had promised he was able to perform. You know, these verses in this whole setting ought to be something that really uh, gets a hold of us sometimes. We are so uh, doubting what God will do sometimes, aren't we? We say, this is impossible. This is humanly impossible for this to happen. And that's perhaps what they thought. But God had said he was going to do it, and he did it. And since Abraham was fully persuaded that God could do what he promised, notice how our text, as a result, verse 12, says, Therefore sprang there even of one, and of him as good as dead, as so many as the stars of the sky in multitude as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. That's the way God himself described following the offering up of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17 and 18. That in the blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars in heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Been looking at the stars lately? Take, take time and look at the stars. There's a lot of them out there. Go down to the beach and count the grains of sand on the beach. Well, that'd be pretty hard to do. But that's what God promised Abraham. The faith of Abraham saw the city with foundations. The faith of Abraham saw the fulfillment of the promise. And then thirdly, the seeking of a country. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now... They desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I want you to notice several things that are very interesting here, uh, I think are very important. First of all, these all died in faith. That means uh, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, uh, not everyone in this chapter, of course, died. Enoch, of course, uh, did not die. But the context would not allow uh, would not allow for the inclusion of Abel, uh, Enoch, and Noah anyway, since it speaks of those who, to whom the promises were given. The promises hadn't been given to those three, and so Abraham was the first to receive these promises. So Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, and so on had not received these promises uh, uh, in that sense. These all died in faith, though knowing that God was going to fulfill his promise. Secondly, uh, they, uh, while they did not receive the promises, they saw them by faith and were convinced of their genuineness and their reality. Uh, they embraced them. That is, they greet them. Uh, just as sailors passing an island wave to those on the shore, but do not land, so Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob saluted the promises from a distance. 
And our Lord alluded to this when he told the Pharisees uh, of his day, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. You see? He saw it and was glad. It was like he was going by and waving. That's what God promised. But it was more than just saluting the promises. They actually embraced them in a unique sense. The same word in the Greek is also translated embraced in Acts 20 and verse 1 where it speaks of Paul drawing the brethren at Ephesus to himself in a farewell embrace. And the thought is that Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob drew the promises to themselves and they embraced them. They claimed them personally. And then notice, thirdly, they confessed a good confession. They were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Faith speaks out. It climbs up on the witness stand to testify for God. Someone has said, faith will die without confession. Of course it will. In fact, faith has never been born where there is no confession. Uh, Paul put it this way in Romans 10, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith, which we preach. That if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The confession they made was not easy. They admitted they were strangers, foreigners, pilgrims, sojourners from another land. For example, Abraham testified that he was a foreigner and a sojourner when he went to the sons of Heth and purchased the cemetery that we spoke of earlier. Jacob confessed the same when he stood before Pharaoh in Genesis 47. And before we leave verse 13, notice the logical uh, progression here. The order when responding to God's promises. How are we to respond? First persuaded, then embraced, and then confessed. If you're persuaded that God's promises are true, you will embrace them by faith, and then you will unashamedly tell others that you've done so. That's the progression we see here. Persuaded, embraced, and then confessed. Now then, fourthly, what did their confession indicate? Verse 14 tells us they sought a country of their own. The word country there means fatherland. Our English word we would use is patriotic or patriotism. It comes from the word uh, for country here, patris. It's the same word used by Jesus in John 4.44. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob were citizens of heaven. They testified to that fact. And then the fifth thing here we see is faith kept them from returning to Mesopotamia. And obviously it was the only thing that did. The words uh, there had been mindful, carry the thought of considering the country from whence they came as their fatherland. And if they had considered it that way, there would have been plenty of opportunity for them to return. They could have returned. They could have bought some land. They could have settled down. They could have lived like other people around them. But you know what? They didn't. Rather, they set their eyes on the city and the foundations. And the picture is just the opposite of Israel under Moses, wishing they could go back to Egypt. Remember, they wanted to go back to Egypt where there were leeks and the garlics and the onions and the melons. Not Abraham. 
And then notice they desired a better country. Faith had made their souls too sensitive for this world. They were insisting on a heavenly country. Like them through faith, our citizenship can be and is in heaven. And then lastly, because of their faith and testimony, God was not ashamed to be called their God. What a statement that is. When I think about that, it causes me to stop and wonder if if God is ashamed to be called my God. Is he ashamed to be called your God? Kind of serious, isn't it? Oh, that our faith and our holy desires might be sufficient to please him continuously. That God would not be ashamed to be called our God. Now, how do we know he was not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham, Sarah, uh, Isaac, and Jacob? Because he prepared for them a city. And thank God, through the same faith, we have the word of Christ. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. I think those are some very interesting things to think about here in these verses. But then notice the sacrifice of faith in verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall be thy seed shall be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now this is the reason we said that Abraham... Uh, we see in him the worship of faith. It seems that everywhere this man went, he built an altar. When he came to the land of Shechem, he built an altar. Uh, When he went down to the plains of Morah, he built an altar unto the Lord. Abraham worshiped God, and that led uh, to obedience of God. He worshiped by faith, and then he obeyed God by faith. Now, beginning here in verse 17, we see his faith and obedience by through, uh, by the, uh, the, ex- the supreme sacrifice of offering Isaac. Notice he offered his only begotten son. In verse 17, God was proving him. God was testing him. It says, and he was tried. Verse 17, he was tried. That's a test. Abraham, unlike some of us, stood up under the test and he was rewarded. Oh, how often we fail in these tests that God puts before us. In fact, in trials much less severe than Abraham's trial, we we often fail. Somewhere I read of a desert flower that only blooms when the strong wind is blowing. Uh, Something like uh, uh, about it makes up the... What it's made up, it responds to the buffeting of its stem and the pod opens up to reveal a beautiful star-like flower. I've never lived in the desert. Some of you may have lived in the desert and you may have seen something like that. But, you know, the flowers of faith are like that desert gem, finding their sweetest beauty and the loveliest fragrance in the times of testing and adversity. So Abraham passed the test. And he offered up his only begotten son. You're no doubt uh, familiar with the account in Genesis 22. We won't take time to read that tonight, but it's the account of great faith. And then he offered up the son of promise. Verse 18 says, Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall be thy seed, thy seed shall be called. You see, without that son, there would be no seed. 
No promise would be, uh, uh, come about. That promise would be worthless. Abraham's hopes and dreams and aspirations of a lifetime would become, uh, would crumble down in defeat and despair. How hard it must have been for him to understand what God's will was. After all, Isaac's birth had been a miracle. The promise itself, in fact, had been a miracle. Why, why God, why would you ask me to kill my only begotten son? We're almost certain Abraham didn't understand, but he did it anyway. He obeyed. And that is the point of faith's sacrifice. He offered his only begotten son. He offered up the son of promise. And then thirdly, he offered Isaac, believing God was able. Verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. There's no indication either here or in the Genesis account that Abraham had any idea how the test would turn out. He had no inclination whatsoever of a substitute, the ram that was caught in the thicket. What he learned after the fact about this was the name of God. At that time, he was unaware of the name Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. But he learned that. He learned that great truth. And taken at face value, the story indicates that Abraham thought he he would actually slay his son, but God would give him back by raising him from the dead. Now that is faith. It was faith of the highest caliber. When it comes right down to it, Abraham knew God would not and could not break his word about Isaac. Even though he did not know how he would bring it all to pass. He believed God and God was able. Now there's an interesting story about the great genius Abraham, Albert Einstein. He was riding a train to uh, New York City when a conductor came by collecting the tickets and the man was at home talking about relativity and he couldn't come up with the immediate relativity of his ticket. He couldn't find it. It was nowhere to be found. So the good conductor said, well, that's all right, Mr. Einstein. I know who you are. You don't need to keep looking. Oh, yes, I do. Einstein replied, I don't, if I don't find it, I don't know where I'm going. Well, Abraham did not know his immediate destination either, did he? He didn't know where he was going. But he was certain of his final destination, and that's the one that counts. I wonder, do you know your final destination tonight? Is it heaven or hell? Like Abraham, yours must be settled by faith in him. Romans 4, 2. For if Abraham was justified by works... He hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Again, let me ask you in closing, is God ashamed to call you his God? If so, why is that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? If not, won't you do it today before it's ever too late? If you have, are you living by faith through obedience, vision, and sacrifice? Obedience, vision, and sacrifice. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for...